Hello and welcome to Make Money and Stick It to the Man with me, Dominic Frisbee. And today's piece is called Money is Language. You might call it the cable that changed history. In the mid-19th century, there were various attempts to lay cables across the Atlantic Ocean between Britain, well, Ireland, which was then part of Britain, and the US. It took several failures, numerous bankruptcies, and over 10 years before they got it right. But eventually they did, and on July the 27th, 1866, Queen Victoria broadcast a message to US President Johnson. Here's what the first transatlantic cable said. Osborne, July 27, 1866, to the President of the United States, Washington. The Queen congratulates the President on the successful completion of an undertaking which she hopes may serve as an additional bond of union between the United States and England. And Johnson replied, Executive Mansion, Washington, July 30, 1866, to Her Majesty the Queen of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. The President of the United States acknowledges with profound gratification the receipt of Her Majesty's dispatch and cordially reciprocates the hope that the cable which now unites the Eastern and Western Hemispheres may serve to strengthen and perpetuate peace and amity between the governments of England and the Republic of the United States. Signed, Andrew Johnson. To send a message by ship could take ten days or more. Now it was a matter of minutes. So somebody came up with the slogan, two weeks to two minutes. Transmission speeds improved rapidly. Morse code became words and it was soon possible to send multiple messages at once. By the end of the 19th century, Britain, France, Germany and the US were all linked by cable. Personal, commercial and political relations were altered for all time. Back then, gold was money, of course, as were paper notes representing gold. You couldn't send gold down the cable, however, nor paper, but you could send a promise. And within a fortnight of Queen Victoria's message, that's what two parties who trusted each other did. An exchange rate between the dollar and the pound was agreed, and then published in the New York Times on August the 10th. That is why, to this day, the pound-dollar exchange rate is known as cable. My purpose with this story is to illustrate a point. What is money but a form of communication? Look at a £20 note, if you still use them, and you will see the words, I promise to pay the bearer. Of course, promises disappear. Gold doesn't. The two are quite different forms of money. One is belief, the other is real. Nevertheless, since the dawn of civilization, we have been using promissory money. In ancient Mesopotamia, man used mud tokens representing sheep or barley, baked inside clay balls to log debts owed. He found it more efficient to draw pictures of the tokens in the mud for the same purpose, which is why which is how the first system of writing developed. In ancient China, man recorded his debts on bits of leather. After the invention of printing, he started using paper. Today, the promises are recorded and exchanged between trusted third parties on computers. Millions, probably billions of promises, are sent across the internet every second. 
transferring as quick as words, probably quicker. Not only does promissory money evolve with communication technology, it is often the spur, the impetus for communication technology to evolve. As was the case with writing. Now, Bitcoin, with its blockchain, obviates the need for trusted third parties altogether. That is one of the many reasons it's so special. Here is a money communication network backed instead by mathematical proof and the most powerful and resilient computer network ever known to man. The trusted third party is the blockchain. This is why it crosses the divide between gold and promissory money. In a way, it's neither, but it's both. Why would you not want to own a share of such a breakthrough technology? That effectively is what owning some Bitcoin is, owning shares in a new monetary technology. And it's not like they're doing any rollbacks. Money has evolved like language. I want to explore this idea of money as communication further. It's often said, by me at least, when considering politicians, look at what they do, not at what they say. What we do says more about us than what we say. What we do with our money says even more. And what we do with our money communicates value, not just between buyer and seller, but across the economy. What is the price of this thing? What is its value? The answer is constantly being sent and received, digested and acted upon. And so does the economy constantly, incrementally evolve and develop with each new signal. The how, why and when of what needs producing and where. Money, then, is like a language constantly evolving and changing. Nobody's really in charge, not even central bankers. It wasn't really planned, it's just constantly evolved. The architects of fiat money didn't plan what we have today, they just used it to get out of a tight fiscal spot, extenuating circumstances at the time. Similarly, nobody planned the language we speak today. Language is hard to plan and regulate, try as many have over the years, and still do. The English we speak today is a long way from the English of Chaucer, Shakespeare or Dickens. There are probably fewer words, certainly fewer tenses. Grammar is simpler, yet it is far more widely spoken. The network has grown. Mandarin may have three or four times more native speakers, but English is more widely spoken. There may well come a time when everybody in the world speaks it. It is the dominant linguistic network. Meanwhile, other languages fade away. Cornish has gone. Few now speak Welsh or Gaelic. The local dialects of France and Italy are disappearing. Similarly, there are no doubt a plethora of African, Asian and American languages that are on the way out if they haven't already gone. The question to ask is this. How scalable is the language? English has the potential to become the default language of the world. I would say it's almost inevitable at this stage. Despite having more native speakers, that's unlikely to be the case with Mandarin. It's certainly not going to happen to Gaelic, Neapolitan or Swahili. How many different monies have there been in history? Shells, whale teeth, metals, paper, cigarettes, mackerel packs, cognac, Zimbabwe dollars, Reichsmarks, denarii, farthings, shillings, shit coins. Most have died. Only gold goes on. But as with transatlantic cables, you can't send gold over the internet. Only golden promises between trusted third parties. Bitcoin is money for the internet. The US dollar is the global reserve currency. 
you can send that over the internet. But it's hard for people who aren't American to get US dollar bank accounts. Foreign exchange fees are expensive. Money transfers can take several days sometimes. It's a national currency that is used international. A country, and several do, could use it as their national currency, but they would be importing US monetary policy too, and so subjecting themselves to US political whims, which is why most countries, with their own political agenda, issue their own currencies. Thus, though international, as a national currency, the US dollar is limited by its national borders and its politics. The same goes for any national currency. But language is not limited by national borders, or at least English isn't. If only there was an apolitical, borderless currency for the borderless economy that is the internet, then that really would be scalable in a way that no national currency is. A network that has evolved organically and is constantly growing. You don't need a bank account to start using Bitcoin. You only need a phone with an internet connection. We're not far off that point when everyone in the world who wants one has one. My argument is this. If money is language, then Bitcoin is English. It has a potential to scale that no other currency has. And even with the falls in price that we've seen this last year, the network is 20% bigger than it was this time last year. Now that is growth. And just as a final aside on how quickly money evolves, it's worth remembering that as recently as the 19th century, the pound had greater global recognition than the dollar. And in emulation of Jules Verne's Phileas Fogg, who went around the world in 80 days, in 1889-90, American journalist Nellie Bly went on a trip around the world in 72 days. She took pounds with her, but she also brought some dollars to, as she put it, as a test to see if American money was known outside of America. She went east from New York and did not see American money until Colombo, Sri Lanka, where $20 gold pieces were used as jewellery. They accepted her dollars, but only at a 60% discount. It's a bit of an ask, though possible, to get people to accept Bitcoin in the physical world, but that is not what Bitcoin is for. It is money for the internet. And if you're interested in buying Bitcoin, my report on how, where and when to buy it is, uh, you can find that at the bottom of the article. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this piece. I enjoyed writing it. Please subscribe uh, to my Substack and I'll be back with another podcast very soon. Until then, goodbye.